What's up everyone and welcome to the Breakline Arena. We are so grateful that you are here. The Breakline Arena is a space that welcomes changemakers, hustlers, and leaders in the tech industry to share their journeys and passions and insights. We are hosted by Breakline Education, which serves to help top performers from underselected backgrounds land new and exciting roles in the tech industry. If you're a person of color or a veteran or a woman, there's info in the show notes about how to join our community. Now let's dive into the arena for today's special guest. Words. Welcome back to the Breakline Arena. What is up, everybody? It is Sophia, your hostess with the mostest, and I play for Team Breakline. Hello, everybody. This is Bethany Coates joining Sophie in my favorite place, the Breakline Arena. Bethany, we have an absolute hitter on deck. What's new? Welcome to the arena, folks. Will you please introduce our lovely guest? Yes, it's a pleasure to share a little bit of the behind the scenes on Amit. Bendoff. He's the CEO and co-founder of Gong.io. And Soap, I just loved interviewing Amit. He told this amazing story growing up in, in sort of humble circumstances. He talked about living with his family in a 500 square foot apartment in Israel, growing into adolescence and thinking that he wanted to be a rock star. And, you know, that was his goal for his career. And he sort of stumbled into computer science as a major during his university university days, used that as a launching pad and stumbled into a couple of different startups before he realized, wow, this is this is really my industry. Technology is really where I wanted to be. He grew up in the industry, became CEO of a company called Sysense. And while there, he had an idea for a new category of sales support called revenue intelligence. And this is really the concept behind his current company, Gong.io. Yes. Oh my gosh. And he drops so many nuggets of wisdom as he kind of describes a little bit more of his life journey. My favorite things that he mentioned was how he developed his leadership style. And he talks about this, this one lesson that he learned from when he was in college, he was working at a garage for a large holding company, one of the biggest ones in Israel. He was working nights and every single day, the CEO would come in and say, Hey boys, you know, where it's always taking time to kind of greet them, to build a relationship. And I loved it because Amit really says this has formed how he treats people now. He wants to be a leader that's super accessible. He's a CEO who all the time has walking chats with BDRs, with SDRs at his company. It was such a healthy reminder of how positive influence trickles down and leading from the front is really how you treat people. Yeah, it was so authentic for him. And this is a person who's who's leading a company. They just recently raised hundreds of millions of dollars at above a $7 billion valuation. This is quickly becoming a world-changing company. And he talked about also the importance of resilience in that journey. And he said something I loved. He said, you don't need to win every game to take the championship. And his point was, learn from those mistakes, learn from those failures, but think of them as, as interim parts along your path towards success. And it was a really optimistic and pragmatic approach to leadership and team building. Absolutely. Y'all, I think we should just dive right in and share this incredible journey. And thanks so much, Bethany, for joining us again in the arena. Thanks, Sophie. Hope you all enjoy. Welcome, everyone. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined today by Amit Bendoff, CEO and co-founder of Gong.io. Amit, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Bethany. Well, we're absolutely thrilled to have you. And Amit, you you and I were talking about the fact that Breakline exists to help veterans, women, and people of color jump into the tech sector. And the nature of our work is that we're often interacting with folks who have a background that's sort of atypical or unconventional for this industry. And as I was preparing for our conversation, one of the um, one of the, the things that I learned about you that I thought was so interesting was as a teenager in Israel where you grew up, you were not dreaming of being a tech CEO. You were dreaming of being in a rock band. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah. I mean, that was the plan. Uh, it didn't quite work out. Actually, it's more than that. I, I actually didn't like tech. It was like, you know, it's like very geeky. I, I like, you know, the dream was to be the next like Jimi Hendrix or something. Uh, 
that's where I was spending my time, like part time at the beach in Israel and part time in a, you know, in a basement, like uh, making a lot of noise. I just, I love it. And I, I, I love that because now you're, you're the CEO and co-founder of one of the most interesting companies in the industry, but maybe as a 16 year old, it wouldn't have been obvious, you know, to the, to the oracles of the industry that you would be coming out on top like this. No, not, not even close. So I came from a like very humble beginning, you know, we weren't poor, but my family, you know, when I was born, we're like in a, you know, 500 square foot apartment with like uh, uh, two bedrooms um, you know, working class family, um, and, and, uh, I didn't even know, probably couldn't even spell CEO. I didn't know, I, I didn't like computers at high school, like there was some, you know, we had them, but you know, it wasn't my thing. I didn't like math. I was a pretty good at it, but I didn't find it exciting. Um, and um, it's only after that, so I actually started working at a guitar store, like a guitar center in Israel. It was like a small, this is, this is how we're going to get close to like the glamour of showbiz, right? Uh, mm -hmm. And that's, uh, that was kind of the point. That's where I first like saw um, a computer like up and close and I started playing. Says, oh, this is pretty cool. And then I signed up for a computer uh, science on a whim, which is like a turning point, but uh, yeah. I, that was my, my beginning in, in technology, but that was not kind of like in my cards um, yes. when I was young. You didn't have the grandmaster plan. And I think that that's so reassuring for, for folks, um, particularly in, in the communities that we serve. I remember one of my professors in business school said, something like you should have a 25 year plan and then you know execute the plan. <laughs> Like, I don't even know what I'm going to be doing I mean, next week. Listen, I have a lot of respect for people that do. I'm not saying that yes. you shouldn't. It's great. Yes. I never had one. Uh, I kind of followed my curiosity from one thing to another. So, you know, from uh, rock to a guitar store, from guitar store to computer science. From that, I worked as a coder, as a, as a developer. And then I said, oh, marketing. You know, just like one thing that never had a plan. I didn't yes. imagine myself as a CEO and never could I dream of like building a multi-billion dollar company. Yes. And, you know, and, and after university, you, you described sort of falling into an early stage startup that ultimately did quite well. And was it also just kind of continuing to follow this curiosity that you, that you had? Was it just sort of you, you saw this company and thought it might be kind of neat to try it? Yeah, so that was like uh, when I went to my third year of computer science in Tel Aviv University, I was walking to campus. It was like already like summer and I saw this like paper ad. It was a job posting, right? Uh, and and it was still, you could, you know, pull, um, you could tear the phone numbers, right? And it said they need a developer for uh, something with multimedia, which I didn't know what multimedia was, but it sounded like, like showbiz to me or related to... Um, to the music industry, I said, oh, that's pretty cool. That has my name all over it, right? And I called him and I was uh, I was invited to an interview uh, with the, the, the CEO of the company who also was a university professor. Um, and, um, and it turned out that they had nothing to do with like uh, with the music industry, uh, but he gave me a really tough uh, math problem to solve. And I said, this is pretty cool. And I was, I was fascinated. It's like a whole new world that uh, opened up to me. And I was, I was literally working uh, 24 and seven, like writing code, reading, learning, and not because I had to, like I was just, mm -hmm. just devouring everything. Mm. I think that's such an interesting story because you started out by saying you, you used to hate math. You know, you didn't see yourself as a mathematician. And then through following this thread of curiosity, it led to this really, really cool start to your career. Yes. When I, when I, um, when I started like first year computer science, uh, that was it. It was like, uh, I was like in love with the profession, like, uh, maybe as a little older, you know, a little like, uh, a little more mature, but I saw that pure math, like, you know, linear algebra and set theory, it was so abstract because it was nothing to do with like the real world or not necessarily like immediate application, just sure, sheer beauty. And I was like, oh, this is so cool. Uh, 
And, and, and computer science in a way is also like that, you know, you're not, you're not building like a car or something. It's all intellectual property, right? You could build like just using your imagination, you can imagine something and tomorrow it could be working. So that was, that was pretty awesome. Mm -hmm. Amit, I, I want to hear a little bit more about your career up until the point that you started Gong.io with your co-founder. You actually had the insight for the company when you were CEO of Sisense. And I, I think you all had a, um, a down quarter for sales and you were trying to figure out why. And it was surprisingly mysterious to you. There wasn't, it, it wasn't a question that, that was answerable at that time. Can you talk to us a little bit about just that, that experience and sort of realizing that there might be an opportunity for something new? Yeah, so we, we had uh, what is kind of, you know, some people call it like the quarter from hell. Everything is like, you know, great until one moment, like it's not, right? And sales were taking a nosedive and I had no idea what was going on, right? As a, as a CEO, you're obviously concerned and sometimes embarrassed in front of the investors. Uh, so I started asking around and we started analyzing data. I love data. So it was like started crunching numbers and the numbers were fine. Like, do we have enough opportunities in our pipeline? Are we calling enough customers? Do we have enough people? Those were fine, but sales weren't closing it. And when I started asking people, I got a lot of opinions. The salespeople were saying, oh, the leads that we're getting right now don't have a sense of urgency. Um, and marketing were blaming sales. They both were blaming the product. We had competition that, that could also uh, be making an impact. So then it dawned on me that we actually have some fundamental question, like why are we not successful as a company, right? Or why some people are successful, some are not. Why are we losing some customers? Why are we winning some customers? And it's all in people's heads. It's not, it's not in any system. It's not in the CRM. It's not in their notebooks. It's like, it's all in their heads. And it's obviously subjective and it's hard. And said so like, this doesn't make sense. I wasn't even thinking about starting a company. We said, this doesn't make sense that we do not know what is happening with our customers, kind of the reality of our customers. The only thing that was available to us is data from the CRM that is, is fine, but it's, it's pretty shallow and asking people and then you get like lots of opinions, but not a, a point of data. I wasn't thinking about starting a company, to be honest. I was looking for something that could solve the problem. And when I couldn't find it, I said, oh, like maybe, maybe there is an opportunity. Mm -hmm. So again, sort of following that that thread of curiosity, data-driven curiosity. And in the process of, of solving this, this problem that you had as a CEO, you ended up creating a new category called revenue intelligence. Can you talk to us now about gong.io? What are you all doing with natural language processing? How is that changing the game for, for sales and for companies? Yeah, so traditionally, uh, we rely on people putting data into systems, right? If you want to manage your customers, you want to know um, the fundamental of who bought and who didn't, right? That's, that's you put in a customer management system. Um, but most companies want to know more things, right? And want to know, like, why do people buy, right? Where is the stage? When are they going to buy and for how much, right? And they don't know until the sale is done, right? Or when a customer leaves, they found after the fact. Um, Gong automatically captures conversation between customers and customer-facing people, both in sales and tech support and customer success. Uh, it could be over email, Zoom, phone, and other types of media. Uh, and then you use natural language understanding to understand what's going on. So if the customer says, uh, please call me in three months, right? Gong intercepts that and kind of flags the opportunity for uh, three months down the road. Uh, rather than relying on people. So it captures like everything that's happening in the account, a hundred times more information uh, without anybody having to lift a finger. Uh, that's the system thing of like a self-organizing um, customer management system. And in the future, it has application in other areas like maybe with HR and everywhere with people um, collaborate on a, a long complicated processes. I, um, as soon as I, I was looking into Gong, it's, it's such a brilliant idea. And one of the, the mottos that you all have is um, goodbye opinions, hello reality. 
<laughs> which is, you know, as a CEO or as a, you know, head of sales, having some certainty around your revenue is so critically important. Can you talk to us about why you chose to, to describe it that way? That, that was a process that uh, it took us a while. So obviously when we started Gong, we were excited, but then we knew that there is like, it does so many things for a company. There, there are dozens of benefits and they're all true. Uh, it helps you know if your product is appreciated by customer, which parts, uh, how are you doing competitively? It helps ramp people up faster. It helps win more deals. It helps reduce churn. Um, it, it helps align sales, marketing, and product together. All are very important, right? But you can't, uh, it's hard to tell a story when you have like 14 benefits, right? You want to pick like one and put aside the others. They're still there, but pick the one that, that actually uh, people care more about that is uniquely differentiated that nobody else does. And that was a process that we went through uh, with a team at Gong and also with the, an outside consultants and help us think about all the value propositions and how we position it. And then the slogan was kind of like the, um, that's a little, you know, wordsmithing. The key thing is that we, we Gong, you know what's happening, right? It's not, you're not relying on what people think. It's not second party data, it's first party data. It's like 100% accuracy and rather than thinking or being subjective, you know exactly what's going on. That was the uh, the reality thing. And just eliminating that game of of telephone and and also being able to institutionalize the knowledge that you described as sort of living in one person's head when lots and lots of people need access to it. It's just so powerful and so interesting. You actually have said that with Gong, you found product market fit on day one. And I thought that this was so remarkable because many companies take years to iterate and iterate and iterate on their products. Can you talk to us about that experience of, of sort of instant product market fit? How did you do it? Right, so in a nutshell, we started with a problem. Remember the story that we spoke about a couple of questions ago, like I started with a problem. There was a, a, a I was um, scratching an itch that I personally experienced, right? It's not who said, oh, AI is hot right now. Like in 2015, like it, it was like all the rage. There's things and like, and you know, internet of things or a lot of other things, right? Now it's like um, crypto, right? Uh, we didn't say like AI is hot. What can we do with it? Like what problems can we solve? It was like a problem looking for a solution rather than a solution looking for a problem. So when we started, I knew kind of like, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is, I think, what would be valuable. We validated early on, so um, with about 50 potential prospects and tell them what we're looking to build and if, ask them if they'll buy, what objections they might have, uh, what would they be willing to pay. And the, the results were pretty positive, but it, it, it is an important step because like, if I'm the only uh, person is interested in it, maybe it's not it's not worth it. So a lot of people build something that they're convinced that will save the world. But you know, the problem, you're not the customer, right? You need to ask other people and it'll tell you. So people tell, oh yeah, absolutely. This sounds good. It doesn't mean you're going to be successful because a lot of people will tell you, oh yeah, I'll definitely buy it. And then we, when you actually build the product, they will not. So it's important to understand you're not done yet, but it was like enough to uh, continue forward. If, if they said no, we probably would have like scrapped the plan. Uh, or at least understand what we need to change. And then we had about a dozen friends and family customers that we weren't even looking to sell anything to them. We kind of begged them to use the software, even though it was free and we weren't looking to sell, people weren't excited, but they kind of did us a favor. We did you know, anything from bribe to use emotional extortion people but they kind of did us a favor within three months we saw that actually people are actually using the software in a way that surprised us and as an experiment i was talking to law and said you know what let's let's try to charge for this see what happens because this was like 2016 we weren't looking to sell anything we told them it's a free beta for the entire year and um and we called everybody around april or may uh, and tell them, well, sorry, uh, everybody, like beta is over, time to pay. 
and and we charged like a pretty substantial sum. It was like fifty thousand dollars or thirty thousand dollars. Some that's not ridiculously high, but also non-trivial, right? And that was an important step. It's not that we needed the money or the sales, but we want to know: Do we have enough something that is valuable enough? And if not, we want to. If we were prepared to hear a lot of no's and say, "Okay, what would you need uh, to see to say yes to fifty thousand dollars?" Interestingly, like eleven out of twelve said yes. But I think the key was that we started from the problem, like we and we looked at what's the technology that's available right now that is good enough that we could build something that'll be useful. So we knew the persona, we knew kind of like the uh, the psyche of the users, we knew exactly what we're solving for, or maybe not exactly, but pretty much what we're solving for, and that was the uh, that was the key. But we also used a couple of validation first, asking people they'll buy, and actually asking for the order pretty early just as a as a as a way to measure perceived value mhm and i think that decision was so important amit because that's the way that you know you have a business you know and for some reason a lot of companies that are born out of silicon valley or backed by silicon valley wait i think too long to monetize But then, you know, people will use something that's free for a long time. <laughs> and then they might behave very differently when they have to pay for it. Exactly. I've seen it with other comp with previous companies that sometimes you have like a design a beta partner program, people use it and when they actually go and ask for an order, they don't buy. So, it's a good trick if you're building something, here's a trick that you could gauge interest like you could build a landing page for something. Right, and just just start advertising. Let's say you do like a new, um, a new garlic press. Right, it is like a hundred times better, and it costs like a hundred dollars. Right, it's expensive. Advertise it, create a landing page, and when people click, right, it's a good sign. People are willing to pay a hundred dollars for this, and then you say, "Oh, sorry, like you know, it's it's going to be available in like three months." Right, and then and then you go and build the product. Right, but. Gauge the interest and willingness, uh, willingness to pay like pretty early. They'll tell you where you stand, and if not, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. But at least you know what are you missing. Mm hmm. So Amit, you were getting this very early positive feedback from a dozen customers, eleven of whom said yes. You know, we'll we'll pay for this. This is a great investment. And while you had been involved in several at this point early stage companies, you'd never founded your own company. So that was also a you know a thing that you had to decide upon, right? Like you'd always been part of a team building, but never kind of the first person to jump in. What were you thinking about at that time? Because you weren't even intending to start this business. You, this was just you pulling on on the thread of curiosity. How did you make that decision? Well, it was a family decision. Like to me, it's not whether I actually like started a company or not doesn't really matter to me. It's more like an anecdote. Like so, I was joined like Pure Revenue, and I, I I don't think I ever worked. I was less committed. It wasn't my own company. I was treated as my my own like curiosity and and uh, and passion. But it is like you know you're like you're going back to changing diapers, right? And then I was 50 when I started, so and it means a lot of travel, crazy working hours, like 24 and seven. So we had like you know my wife and two boys were like, Dad wants to start in another company. What do you think? <laughs> um, so we we thought about it. This is kind of my my hobby, right? And uh, uh, what I enjoy uh, doing, and and they're they're okay. We decided we could we could do it as a family, and and our, our boys are kind of older right now, so it's the, the age where we need to like fight for their attention. So that was that was it. So we started the company. And what about your choice of co-founder? You know, how did that kind of conversation unfold? Well, Elon, I met him when I was CEO at Sison. So I was at that time I was recruiting for for a VP of engineering, and he was one of the person that I interviewed. We never worked together, but I heard a lot of good recommendations. At that time, it didn't work out. He was looking for something that was like a little like early stage. It was a little more product than than, uh, than engineering. But when I started thinking about Gong, I was asking a friend of mine like. Um, 
you have any ideas for a technical co-founder? says, why don't you go all along? He says, oh, great. Like, we already know each other. So we called and uh, we never worked together, but it, it's, it's working amazing. He's, a, he's an awesome partner. So this is all sounding, you know, surprisingly straightforward <laughs> and, and sort of a, a smooth road. But one of the experiences that you've talked about is raising money for Gong and and how that was actually conversely surprisingly difficult in the early stages where you had this early product market fit, you had early traction, but there was some skepticism from the investor community, which I found surprising, especially because of your track record as a CEO and as a senior tech executive. Will you talk a little bit about that experience of, of raising money and what you were thinking about, how you pushed past the nose and what you were thinking about in terms of who you wanted to partner with, who you wanted to have around the table at this early stage? Yeah, that, that was like a, a surprise. I think because of my track record, we were able to raise money. Like people said, you know, maybe, you know, the horse is questionable, but maybe the, jock, the jockey seems pretty good. So they're betting on the jockey more, more than the horse, right? And that's what the early stage people do. Like they, they, they most like bet on the founders. Uh, but a lot of people thought that it's not going to work or not going to be like a big company or the big companies are going to like eat our lunch. And that's an interesting, uh, and, and, and Dora is actually the partner that ended up investing. So it was like surprising the hardest investment to actually to pass at the, uh, the partners meeting. Because like sales is one of those things that everybody thinks that they think that they know, right? If you talk some like that obscure cryptocurrency technology that nobody knows anything about it, right? So, oh, the founder is pretty smart. They're at school or, you know, they're from Stanford and okay, like let's give them some money, right? But there are these areas like marketing that everybody's seen like a, uh, like a TV commercial, things that they understand marketing or sales, like everybody buys something. So they, or they're on boards of companies. So they, the thing they understand. So that's like where people have a lot of opinions. And they're, they're saying like things that are pretty reasonable. Said, oh, salespeople are going to hate it, right? Because it's going to see it as a big brother, which is not a stupid thing to, to think. It's pretty reasonable. You can't legally capture uh, in that information with uh, compliance and, and, and for legal reasons. Um, some people didn't like the name Gong. They felt it's going to be Asian. Uh, maybe, I don't know, that was like implied maybe because I'm Israeli, so that you don't understand. So I, I, oftentimes I'm like here in America, right? So these like, here is like how it works. It, it, I've done my entire career in the US. I don't even know the Israeli market, but maybe some people felt that I, I don't uh, quite understand the market. Uh, so there are a lot of people who kind of pushed back. But fortunately, like all you need is like one person that will believe you. We had like two seed investors that gave us the money and, and, um, even the A round post seed wasn't a walk in the park. So we got more traction, but it's not that people were like standing in line to invest. But once people saw kind of the traction that we're seeing and how customers rave about the product, okay, that, you know, that, that was, uh, that made things a lot easier. I think it's so interesting that at the seed stage that your investor described it as the toughest investment for him to get across the finish line. How did you, when, when you were in that mode of, of kind of convincing people to put money in, now you're in a very different position, <laughs> but at that time you were in the mode of, you know, influencing and encouraging and getting people to, to, to commit the funding. How did you parry the, the concerns or the question marks or the pushback or the skepticism? We we didn't brush them off. We actually uh, treated like uh, we this is good input, right? And 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 all the people that pushed back are people I have a lot of appreciation for. I was not angry. I was obviously disappointed. But we took also, for example, said salespeople are going to hate it. So, which is a legitimate concern. So we actually built a lot of functionality for the salespeople that the stuff that they love far outweighs their concern, right? They think, oh, people are going to know what I'm doing, right? But I also don't need to do a lot of stuff that I hate, right? So we built quite a bit. Uh, we position it not as a, as a surveillance system, right? But a system that actually empowers you and that works for you. So we actually built more functionality for the people in the trenches than their leaders. 
right? So that was like it. Uh, legally, yeah, we address, we embrace a lot of the strictest like GDPR, a lot of the standards, we invest a lot in security and privacy. So we built a lot of that. This was like good, good input. There are other concerns is like uh, no company has really made it big in the sales space or they said that there are a lot of tools. There, there's not much that we could do. Like we knew that, uh, that we're gonna be number one, but of course everybody thinks that way, right? So it's like, we know, you don't know it, but we're gonna be like the biggest, but we just say, okay, we're gonna just continue forward, run as fast as we can. And then uh, now this is like the reality, we, we are number one. Mm. And so you all recently raised a, a big round of funding over the summer. How did that experience contrast with those early days of finding finding your first investors? It's it's the complete opposite. It's like, uh, and again, I hope it doesn't come across any, uh, as arrogant. I said we weren't looking to raise, but a lot of people are always like, like now, can we uh, be part of your journey? Right? Can we invest in? At some point, we said, okay, it makes sense. There are a lot of like uh, uh, people that are interested in, in, um, in Lansing. So it was like no presentation, no no pitch deck, nothing. We just spent an hour with people. And again, uh, it's not that people like are uninformed, but they spoke with so many customers. So they a lot of them came like, listen, we spoke with like 30 customers and from what we're hearing from them, like there's there's not much that we need to know. And then we gave them some basic like financial information, ask you know anything that they need to know. But it was like uh, our, our customers that you know we we go by. We'd like to have like raving fans. They call them and they hear great things, and and then they they want to invest. Mm-hmm. What a great feeling! And it's um it's such a common feeling with the the CEOs that we interview for the Breakline Arena, where there's this period of famine, <laughs> you know, this period of like, I believe in this thing, but there aren't that many other people at the table. And then you push and push and push. And then to get to the other side, and as you said, have people calling you up and saying, can we be part of your journey now? What a wonderful, you know, way to come full circle and and to find yourself amidst a lot of support. It is it is very uh, very rewarding and you know it's also important to stay humble right and don't think that you've you've made it right the moment you start thinking that you've made it you're you're kind of like almost done so I always caution people that you know I don't think we're like ten percent of our journey right we're still like very early on even people that join now have a lot of room to grow and so do we so uh, but it is it is very very exciting. I, I love that that caveat to stay humble, partly because I, I spent 20 years in Silicon Valley, and one of the knocks on Silicon Valley is is the arrogance, you know, the sense that it's a community full of hubris, which when you when you actually get into it, it's really not. It's a community full of ingenuity in many ways. And yet I'm wondering if where you are in your life was part of how you how you how you have that perspective you mentioned starting gong when you were 50 and again there's the silicon valley myth of like the 18 year old starting the next world changing companies but a lot of the a lot of the best performing companies have been started by folks in their 40s and 50s have you thought about that and just your lived experience and you know and whether or not that has has enabled you to be particularly well suited to the to, to to starting and building gong at this stage well i think definitely my, my experience is is uh has played a role because this is the fourth company that, that i'm leading and i have like a lot of diverse experiences so that definitely like uh a lot of the um um things that we're seeing in gong things that i've seen before for example like asking customers to pay they're big difference people that are design partners and and uh, and, and paying customers huge difference uh, so kind of that that was obvious to me. I think it can be successful if you're in your twenties. Uh, there are some very great example like you know Google or or, or or Facebook, right, or or Twitter, and you could be successful in your fifties or forties. Like I, I think just having like a stereotype like who could be successful, you know, people have like different strengths. Sometimes it's because they're young and naive and they don't know that you can't defy gravity. That kind of helps. Uh, 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 and some of the people. 
at my age, you know that you cannot defy gravity, right? Uh, and that helps too, right? In, in a different way. So both are valuable and I, I don't think it, it, it matters. Like there, there are advantages, disadvantages and, and we need to be like open-minded and look at the idea and, and people like uh, uh, ability to execute like regardless of, of age. It reminds me, one of my mentors is Andy Ratcliffe who co-founded Benchmark Capital. And he always says that the right time to start a company is when you have the insight and the insight doesn't arrive on any particular timetable. Yes. Yes. There, and that is true. Like the, the market, actually the problem that you're solving is more important is if like you can have like a, a reasonable team, right? Uh, in, in, in a great market can do okay. And an amazing team in a terrible market, you know, it, it, it's going to be very hard to execute. So if you found the right problem, you feel the passion, you, you, you think that you know what it is, right? Just, just go for it. Age doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Amit, I want to get into some of your thoughts around leadership and management. You write a lot on LinkedIn and elsewhere and, and you're interviewed a lot. And I found so many of your, your insights to be fascinating. And I wanted to dig into some of them. One of the operating principles that you've shared recently is want more. You said when we achieve new records, we celebrate and then we imagine new ones. Will you talk to us about why this, this feeling, this, this kind of exhortation to stay hungry, why is that so important? We, we didn't kind of choose like the, the operating principle was trying to like describe who we are, right? Uh, uh, and, and like different, if you look at the... Um, at the savanna, right in Africa, there are different animals that are that are successful in different ways, right? The cheetah is fast, the elephant is is massive and powerful, right? And it's not one thing that is of other. You could you could build a pretty successful business that actually doesn't want more, right? They they actually want to take it like slow and, and easy. That that's fine too. Their businesses are very successful. So it is like we uh, when we were around a hundred people, we knew that we we're going to hire a lot of people, and we we wanted wanted to describe like what does it mean to be a gangster right and and it's just look at us and kind of said the attributes that are true not that we aspire to be right we're left outside of things that are pretty obvious like you know be nice right or or, uh, or integrity right that doesn't need to be spelled out hopefully that, that's table sick but things are unique to gong and and you could build a different company with the exact opposite right uh i think some of the tech ceos i don't want to mention names here but you know we're not nice people they're super successful but just not nice to the people right we we actually like to be nice like you don't you don't have to but and want more that's who we are you know if, even if you look at my uh you know start with the founders right if you look at my my story where i started right it's always like you know grow from one thing to another so you always grow it also helps in a way because you are uh today in a, in a very competitive world, right? It's not hard to develop software and whatever advantage that you have, actually have a pretty short shelf life. So you need to keep running and grow and grow and grow as fast as you can. If you slow down, then you kind of risk minimizing uh, your likelihood of succeeding. So we have like a, a pretty ambitious end goal and we're not gonna take a pause like every five minutes right to uh, rest on the laurels and we, we do celebrate we do uh we have a lot of accomplishment that we uh that we celebrate but we always like like to move on and, and stay ahead of the game mm -hmm. and as as part of that answer you were talking about <clears throat> gong's culture and the fact that you value kindness as part of that that culture and you think about the ripple effects of your own behavior in a way that I think is is um, so thoughtful. And one of the things that you've said, for example, is for other leaders, think of your behavior not only for its immediate value, but for its modeling value for future generations of leaders. And it's so important, you know, that that we can look up to folks who are really role modeling how to build companies, how to lead teams, how to show up in this world. Will you talk to us about how you role model? How do you want to show up? What you want to be known for? What you hope to see in other people who have been part of your team? 
Yeah, that's good. And I, I remember like, uh, uh, so we, you know, we spoke about me uh, going to Tel Aviv University at the time, like, and again, I don't want to create because I was poor, that I was hungry. But again, I was like, you know, with roommates and I was like uh, working to uh, pay tuition and the rent. And I was working in, in a garage, right? I just as a cashier in a garage like that. And I could work nice so I could read linear algebra. And it was like a pretty, pretty easy job, minimum wage, but a good job. And I was working at a very large building and of a holding large holding company, one of the largest holding companies in Israel. And I, I remember like uh, every day the CEO would like drive in like a like large um, Series 7 BMW with a cigar. But every time he would stop, open the window, says, How's it going, boys? Like, everything's okay, just greet us. Like, he, he'd always take the time. He's the highest ranking person in a company. Talking to someone is even isn't an employee, right? Uh, the lowest ranking, and every time would stop and say hello. So I, I remember that, like, very vividly, right? And I think that has formed how I treat my employees. Like, it doesn't matter if you're SDR just out of the college. Like, you know, we go to walk and talk and gone. We go and talk about life, about work. You know, I try to mentor. Everybody can access me all the time. So, you know, I'm obviously higher ranking, right? But as a leader, you're not royalty, right? You're just like, there's, it's not a class, it's a position. You're like everybody else, right? I started exactly like everybody else in the company and that's how we, we treat people. That's what we want. We share information pretty transparently at Gong, like pretty good, and bad, right? And we share information. I want people to feel free to share and, and discuss things openly. So that those are the operating principles. And I think it helps both like the people that work underneath you. So you know that kind of behavior trickles down because people don't care what you say. They, they just watch your body language, right? And how you act actually is more important than what you say. But also future generation, maybe this like a uh, 20-year-old that you just uh, um, went out for a walk and talk when she becomes a CEO, like in 20 years or in 10, who knows, you know, that's how she's going to treat her, her, uh, her team members. So that's why it's important and uh, it, it's more fun. It really is more fun, isn't it? Just to show up and feel, feel respected, feel like you're part of a warm environment. I think it enables all of us to be at our best. So, Amit, you and your team recently unveiled a new mission and the, the mission is lofty and it's big and you said you all are going after a big goal and I wanted to just lay it out here you said we unlock reality to help people and companies reach their full potential that's huge can you talk to us um, about what it means in real terms what what does reaching your full potential actually mean in in the context of gong yeah, so we, we spoke about like, uh, um, hello reality, goodbye opinions, right? This kind of as, as, as a tagline for the company that we've used. But uh, we, when we started Gone, it was obvious that this technology has a far-reaching uh, consequence. So we say it could be uh, really big, but the message was like very tactical, right? Because we knew that early on, if we could sell some kind of like vague, uh, uh, big vision, uh, nobody's going to buy, right? So initially you want to get like some traction, something people understand, very tangible. You almost sell the device, right? Not uh, not the sizzle, the steak. Um, or, you know, I'm, I'm vegetarian, so the eggplant, not the steak, the sizzle. Um, and and now we're generalizing, we're going like way beyond sales. So Gong is used by customer support, by sale, by marketing and products. We wanted to extend. Now we feel that we can um discuss the bigger bigger dream and bigger vision um and we thought this is time to refresh uh kelly wright who joined us first as a board member and then and as a president and she as soon as she got in says we need to like organize our vision which is something that we always knew that we need uh, we need to do but it provides like a real north star for uh the employees and and customers and um and that that's a, that was a very good exercise to do Mm-hmm. I mean, we were having this conversation in January of 2022. We're almost two years into this global pandemic. There's a lot of conversation um, in the a lot of public discourse around burnout and you know, and how do we keep people 
um, feeling engaged and motivated and energized and on a sustainable path with um, with work and careers. And I wanted to point out um, that Gong's culture highlights grit and perseverance and values that. But you also recently said in a post to accept the losses. Um, and you said something like, you can't win it all, nor should you. And I'm wondering if there's an intersection between, you know, looking for a sustainable way to approach our careers, approach our work, you know, in this historically challenging moment that we're in that, that doesn't seem to have an easy end date with also some realism about, you know, you win some, you lose some. And, um, and we have to be kind of clear eyed about that. Right, right. I, I, I actually meant there, there are two ways to, uh, to understand that. Both are, are, are valid. First, I would say, like, if you want to teach, like, how to win in a market, right? This is like, you, you know, you're not going to win all customers. And you have, the point is, like, if you have, like, a simple message that works, like, 70% of the time, it's easy to teach, it's easy to spread, choose that and accept a few losses. But also, uh, that I, I, I tell the team, like, we're going to experience some losses, right? Either customers or, or personal or people leave, right? And that's always painful. We should we should try to evolve them. But remember, like, um, you don't need to win every game to take the championship. And I, and I take that from sport, right? If you look at the, uh, the, the Tour de France, right? This is the toughest, uh, probably toughest competition in the world. The winners, right, there are 20, uh, 23 segments, right? The winner almost doesn't win. They win a few of them, but definitely not all of them, right? But it's the overall that actually matters. Or if you're in, a, um, in, in the NBA, right, or football league, right, NFL, right, you don't need to win every game. You're going to lose some. When you do, uh, try to win every game. But when you do, don't, don't sweat it, like, too much. Just think about it. Learn from it. Keep going, right? If the one who wins like more points than everybody else actually ends up winning, so I think that's the uh, that's the approach that I would recommend. Don't ignore the losses, you know. Be aware, but you know it's not the end of the world. Just keep going. Mm-hmm. And Gong is, I mean, you all are have multiple offices across multiple countries now. And you're growing so fast and, and it's still within this context of a global pandemic and it's difficult right now. Um, how are you, are you doing anything differently to motivate people to keep the team energized and focused? Or is it all the same core principles? Are you leading in exactly the same way that, that you would be you know, once we get through this, this pandemic? We're living in, in exactly the same way. Like mm. the core principles, you know, are, are beyond like the current state of affairs. We are we are trying different things to keep people uh, um, engaged and, and motivated and and, um, and in good shape. We've tried a lot of things, and this is like evolving over time. We um, even you know even when the uh, the whole thing's broken in. in um, I think it was like February 2020, right? Uh, when things started to go unclear, people went home. Uh, the economy was starting to show like really like uh, uh, concerning signs. We thought about it and said, you know what? Um, we don't know how it's going to pan out, but uh, we made a decision. We're not going to fire anybody. We're not going to do pay cuts. There are not going to be like any leaves. We're not going to do any change for at least like uh, I think it was like four or five months. It was just, you know, if, the, you know, if it arose a profit, then so what? Like, you know, we could, it's not going to kill us, right? Uh, so fortunately, we could afford it. So we said, let's wait and see so we can make a more informed decision. We let everybody know exactly that, yeah, we're not going to do anything. So, you know, don't let this like be a concern to you. There's enough to be concerned about in the world. Uh, and we kept like, uh, we increased the engagement. Obviously, Zoom is is great, but also... You know the fatigue is, is is real and it's not like the real deal so we uh we try to keep people connected in a number of ways some were successful some were not some we abandoned we changed uh there are like periods where you could still travel right so we whenever we got the opportunity we got on airplanes we we went to meet people we opened uh 
what we call the Gong Cedar Lounges. So we uh, we made a deal with a number of restaurants in 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 the uh, the main cities where people can go and hang out. It's pretty cool. We communicate more, so we do a lot. But the operating principles are are unchanged. You lead with uh, integrity, transparency, the same resolve. Uh, that there is no change. Mm. Thank you, Amit. Well, we're coming up on time, and I wanted to ask one last question which is really informed by the path that you've walked. You know, you described yourself as this teenager in Israel, really expecting to have a career in a rock band, working your way through college, working in a garage, you know, these moments early in your life where it wasn't yet completely obvious what your potential was. And then through various opportunities, your curiosity, your work ethic, your brilliance, your ability to attract an amazing team, you have created this world-changing company. And we have a lot of folks who are toward the earlier part of that journey that you've walked. And I wanted to know if you could encapsulate advice for them, you know, as they, as they reach for their full potential as they work to kind of push past nose, push past friction, um, and perhaps some self-doubt, how do they stay the course, you know, and, and really become who they, who they can be? Um, well, that, that's a hard, because there's no one advice, but I, I, uh, I think what worked out for me Right, that I I was always dreaming. Like even as a child, when I was a five year old, I was always dreaming. Like I, I read a lot of like history books. I read like you know the Roman Empire, and I always like empires. Like even as a child, when I go back, like I didn't make too much of it at that time. I was always like dreaming and, and curious, right? And and I read a lot. Second, uh, surround yourself with people that are that value you, right, and support you, and provide a good good support group. I was fortunate when I started with Click Software. I told my meeting with a professor, we're still almost like family, right? There was like someone who encouraged me and allowed me to get on a roll and believed in me. And I, I was surrounded by people who was like uh, that has a very positive influence, right? Uh, uh, because some some environment could be toxic, right, and and or negative, right? You don't want to be there, so. Uh, these are two. If you have a dream, uh, the belief that you you can um, you can grow and develop yourself and surround yourself with people that are uh, supporting and can be a good good partner to the journey. Uh, nothing is impossible. Amit, thank you so much for the time. Such a treat to spend the last hour with you. So appreciate it, and happy New Year to you and your team. Happy New Year. It was my pleasure and uh, good luck to everybody in their journey. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another episode of The Breakline Arena. We're hoping that you're walking away feeling a little moved, a little inspired. And if you really had a good time, feel free to head on over, rate, subscribe, leave us a review. It does help us spread the good word, keeps these good vibes rolling. Yes, we would love to hear from you. Thanks again and we will see you next time.